Welcome to the Transformational Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Hannah Anam. My mission is to help you lead more effectively and be an agent of positive change in times of disruption. On this podcast, we interview practitioners and leadership experts and have coaching exercises that you can apply immediately to your work challenges. Together, we learn how to achieve success and create workplaces in a world that work better for all. So today I want to welcome Michael Bush. Michael Bush is um, global CEO of Great Place to Work, a people analytics and consulting firm with operations in more than 60 countries. Through its certification programs, Great Place to Work recognizes outstanding workplaces and produces Fortune's annual list of the 100 best companies to work for, the world's best workplaces list, and the 100 best workplaces for women's list. It also produces the best workplaces for diversity and dozens of other distinguished workplace rankings around the world. The company's mission, wait for this, is to build a better world by helping every organization become a great place to work for all by the year 2030. How fabulous is that? Welcome, Michael. Hello, Hannah. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, I really, I love this mission. And um, we met, just for transparency, we met earlier this year at the World Economic Forum in Davos, and I'm I'm really uh, inspired by this mission that you've created to make every single workplace a best place to work by the year 2030. Tell me about what compelled you to to see this vision and mission for yourself. Yeah, I, I would say luck and good fortune, which I hold responsible for the success that I've been able to achieve. And in 2017, actually, the founder of Great Place to Work, Robert Levering, Uh, contacted me about selling his company. And so I was hired to to sell the company. And what happened along the way, I didn't know it, but subconsciously, I think it happened almost immediately. I fell in love with, with the idea of a great place to work. And I fell in love with the analytics to actually see each year what millions of employees around the world are experiencing. And I also, from my work experience, knew that some of the places that great place to work called a great place to work were not a great place to work for people that I knew. And then that caused me to dig into the data and really look at the left side of the Likert scale where you could have thousands of people not having a great experience, but the majority having a great experience and then the company get ranked highly. So I, I immediately felt the power of the analytics. So I decided to get a partner and buy the company feeling that using the analytics, we could create what we now call a great place to work for all. So we would reward companies that provided a consistently great experience for everyone who was there, regardless of their gender or their race or ethnicity or their job level or full-time or part-time. If you're a working person, it should be a great place to work. So uh, I felt the power of it and then got to work and, uh, created a new set of algorithms with our team so that we could have a different way of measuring and assessing what was actually a great place to work for all. Hmm. Hmm. That's such an important insight that you just shared um, right now, Michael, about you can have an average that is really high, but a set of people who are not having a great experience. So what is it that 
differentiates that uh, that algorithm. And you know, are there certain actions that I'm just thinking that companies need to be taking and measuring that make it a great place for all, as opposed to a great place for just the average? Yeah, I, I think the the key point is how leaders and managers behave. That's what separates a company that's a great place to work for all and a company that's a great place to work for many. Mm. It's, it's the leaders. Because to create a great place to work for all, you have to have leaders who are uh, working on their leadership style, are, are humble, are curious, and are purpose-driven. And the purpose will inspire them to work on their leadership style so that they can be a great leader for all. So they interact with men and women the same way. They interact with someone who's been at the company three months in the same way that they interact with someone who's been with the company 10 years. They interact with part-time workers, swing shift workers, night shift workers, day shift workers, all the same. So, and there are these people who, who work on this and treat people as people And not that you're more than because you work on the 20th floor and you're less than because you work on the loading dock. So it's really that kind of humane leader who's purpose driven because they're willing to modify and change their behavior and the way they see others because of the purpose of the organization. That's the only power that we found strong enough to get people to behave in the manner that I'm describing. And the organization has to be very committed to developing leaders like the leader that I'm describing, which is the tough part. The rubber hits the road in this work in creating a great place to work for all at the mid-level manager level and the frontline supervisor level. That's why you can have this charismatic CEO at the top talking about purpose, but the work experience is quite different than that. Having that great leader at the top, that super communicator, maybe a for-all leader, but if you don't have it in the middle of the company, it's going to fall apart and it shows up in the data. Yeah. And so, you know, it strikes me, you said being purpose-driven is key and it is indeed at the middle and frontline leader level where the greatest numbers of employees experience their experience. And so what is it? that the best companies are doing? Because you've now analyzed this for years across a whole range of companies. How many companies and how many countries? Yeah, yeah. So we we actually survey in 98 countries. We have offices in 48 of them. And we survey about uh, 10 million employees every year. And we survey 10,000 companies every year. So we have a, a, a lot of data around the world to know what employees across every industry are experiencing. And the great companies, you know, there are there are companies like DHL comes to mind because I find them to be perhaps the most amazing in that they do business in uh, more countries than the UN. And when they hire a supervisor, you know, just think about it. And if you think think about the world, there are some places it's really challenging to get a package somewhere. Mm-hmm. They literally have stories of people who put on waders and wade across a little river to deliver a package. Yeah. So they do that and they're hiring supervisors every single day, every single day. Well, in such a distributed network, how do you make sure those supervisors understand the values of, of the company, the what the company believes in, 
what you should do and what you shouldn't do, what you should be willing to do and, and what you shouldn't be willing to do. And how do you make sure that, that, that as a supervisor, your people feel safe and cared for and connected to something that's far larger than they are? Well, they have a supervisory training program like no other that it, they use uh, virtual learning. They've got great, great content. They have great role play, great curriculum, very clear expectations on what people managers do and what they don't do in, in various situations. And when in doubt, trust who you are and what you believe in as being the golden rule. And they've done that. Uh, a lot of companies talk about the challenge of training and developing leaders. I say, if DHL can do it, you can do it because it's, it's so large and distributed uh, 500,000 employees and, and they do it. So, and how do they do it? It's a serious commitment. It's a serious commitment to create such a curriculum, to be involved in it. They have videos from all their leaders as a part of that curriculum. So uh, that's how seriously they take it because they know that the key to having a great place to work for all is the mid-level managers and the frontline supervisors. So with that knowledge in the world, there are many companies that don't do that. Mm -hmm. There are many companies that will find a great software developer and they wanna compensate them more. So they promote them to be head of a software development team. That person has no interest whatsoever in managing people, but it happens every single day. And then what's unfortunate is the experience that the people have who are working for that young software developer. So. As business grows, as it has been, as we were in a bull market until about six months ago, we were getting this group of leaders around the world with no people experience whatsoever, and the company wasn't doing anything for them. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about what's happening now. As you said, we were in a bull market, and now all of a sudden our workplaces have been disrupted pretty significantly for all kinds of reasons. What can we expect in terms of the future of work? How do you see that? Well, let's talk about some of the things that we know. In our work, the thing that we measure and have measured for the longest time is trust. So it's over 30 years of history. Even the prior great place to work always measure trust. We do too. It's still the foundation because without trust, there is no engagement. There is no happiness. There is no inclusion and there's not much innovation. There's innovation by a few. So trust in the people that we work with and, and most importantly, the person that we work for is, is super important. So we measure that. Well, if you came into, into the month of February and you had a high trust workplace and where people felt that their leaders respected them, their leaders were honest with them and their leaders were fair, their leaders were equitable, and they enjoyed the people that they worked with, and they took pride in their work, which means they felt cared for by the people they work with, and they care for, for others, and they have a sense of camaraderie, uh, of teamwork, that we can accomplish something together that we can't do on our own. That really defines trust, and mm. you, you write about it, and we, we are like-minded in, mm. in our belief and the power of it and the agility and innovation that, that that creates. Well, if that's who you were in February, when you go into March and suddenly are shifted into this new way of working, where physical health takes on a whole new meaning, where mental health gets strained for every person, and then financial insecurity 
because you don't know what's happening. And when you're, you have physical health issues and mental health issues that are new and the complexity of working from home or being forced to still work, and when you put those things together, it's a lot of strain. If you went into, this is fascinating. We mm. have companies that have just surveyed. Their scores are higher than last year. Wow. So, so th- that if you have a high trust culture, people really felt the benefit of it over the last few months in the way that people were sent home. People aren't checking on them. People are getting care packages. People have got their internet supported by their company. People made sure that they had what they needed to work from home. Extra care given to people who had to still go to work and companies stepped in and delivered food to their homes, made sure that they had adequate health care. They had access to scientists to know what to do for their family or their elderly parent. This is what great companies have done, documented all around the world. So that because that's what high trust companies do. Hmm. They, they, they care about the person and they aren't worried about precedent. They're doing what people need and they make these decisions quickly. And the people go, wow, this was a great place to work. It's really a great place to work now because during this strange time, this organization cares about me and my family at this time. So that's where great companies have separated themselves from others. The hardest phone call that, that we got over the past few months is from a CEO that has said, you know, we've thought about working with a great place to work. We know you do work on trust. We're having trouble now. Can you help us? And I just say maybe prayer and incense. There's not much you could do now in a distributed world. If you don't trust your people, they know it now. And companies would have these 6 a.m. check-in calls to see how everybody was doing, just to get a, make sure that the person was in front of their screen at 6 a.m. People having guidelines about making sure your kids are distant from the video call and no pet interruptions. Whereas other companies say, you know, there is no such thing as an interruption that welcome your child and, and your pet in, into the video conference. Two very different ways of working. Some companies trying to monitor productivity. How many calls are you making a day? Others saying, make sure you work and take a break and getting some walking and some time for, for meditation. Two completely way different ways of doing this thing called work. And the, the trust scores are showing the difference because if things are good, they've actually been even better in some ways. In, in terms of trust and the connection people have in their company, because they know they can rely on their company. If things were bad, they're really bad. So we've seen the opposite at the same time. Companies that aren't on our list, kind of at the low end, their scores have deteriorated. So this all comes back to the value of doing it in the first place. And when you've got a lot of uncertainty, trust is what you can stand on when you have a lot of uncertainty. And then when we got hit with the second virus of racism and Mm. George Floyd's murder, that rattled society and made kind of a fragile world even start to crack. Um, When things couldn't get any worse, they absolutely did. And again, great companies, executives talk to their people about George Floyd's murder, talk to to their companies about racism and, and announced what they believed in. And, and have taken social justice stance, which, again, makes people feel like, wow, this is an amazing company that I work for, uh, that I know what they believe in. And they believe in the same things that I believe in. So it's been two tragedies that, that are still with us today. And great companies have found a way to walk through them. Standing on trust, the pride scores are incredible. People saying, we ask them, you know, 
are you proud that you work for your company and, and the scores are off the charts for these companies? Would you recommend your company as a service or a product to a friend off the chart? Would you recommend your company to a friend looking for employment off the chart, higher than they were a year ago? So the connection has been made even stronger. Yeah, you know, it really it's so powerful, that point, Michael, about, you know, times of disruption really create a separation between the companies that really care, where their employees feel cared for and safe and trusted, and therefore they can be much more innovative, creative, and agile. And on the other hand, companies where employees feel like they're being micromanaged and they have the opposite impact in terms of people feeling stuck or or frozen. So let's um, pivot a bit. And what I want to talk about now is trust in a virtual workplace. And so there's so many people I know, leaders that are struggling with how do I, they're, they're doing a lot of firsts, right? Like how do I do my performance appraisal Meteor performance appraisal virtually? How do I give tough feedback virtually? I mean, it's felt like it's a different felt experience when you have somebody face to face, you've been with them, you know, you go grab coffee together in the mornings, and there is this natural sense of, of camaraderie that can exist and where it makes it easier to have some of these, you know, harder conversations. And now people have been away from one another in, in virtual workplaces. What advice do you have around if there were only three things that you could tell a leader in terms of their behavior that would help them be more effective in a virtual setting? Yeah, um, and we've done a lot of research on this during COVID, uh, where we're surveying, um, you know, every week uh, around around the world and, and prior to. So th- the things that were true before COVID are are, are still true, but trust is more important. So one of the things that people need to develop is feedback and they need it to be done in a caring way. And caring isn't a nice tone of voice and a soft peddling a tough issue. That's not what care is. That, that's a, you know, a manner of behavior or in, in some cases, politeness, which works against building trust. What caring is, is how, how do you speak to the person? How do you speak to the person? And that conversations between two people, particularly a people manager and the person that they manage, should always reinforce the importance of the person's role to the organization achieving its purpose. So if you talk to a receptionist simply about being a receptionist, they'd feel like you don't care for them as a person. Hmm. You see them as a person in a role Hmm. or as an employee. You need to talk about how important that is. So that's just kind of a leadership behavior that should be consistently being used by the leader. What would be an example of how you would do that, Michael? An example of that would be that uh, I haven't seen you in four months. This has been crazy. And you've been working for us for four months and I've never met you, but we hired you and you're doing customer success for us. And we really appreciate it. What's really important for our business is keeping our customers. You enable that. You enable that. You're vital to us in in, in doing that. So that's speaking and and connecting a person to, to their purpose. Number two is listening. And so when the person's talking, the you want to try and empty your mind 
even though you feel like you know a lot and this person's only been there four months, maybe they don't know as much. You empty your mind and you have various points of view, but you explore with the person in a way that you're willing to alter your point of view and learn some things. Don't think that the person has been there four months. They don't have something to teach you. They do. And so that's an ultimate show of respect is, is the listening component. So you, you let that happen. That shows you care. And then providing feedback or development, which every which everyone wants, is the, the more direct you can be, the better. Hmm. The, the more direct people want it. They want it. So I, in that package, Michael, I heard several things. Um, one is a great clarity around the value of your role and, you know, how it contributes to the organization's purpose and results and reinforcing that, that, you know, your role is important and therefore you are important to us. The second piece I heard you say is listening, the power of listening and listening to learn specifically. The third thing I heard um, you talk about is it's really important to be very honest and clear and hold somebody accountable to say, here are the facts you, you said, you know, here's kind of what great looks like. Here are the facts. And then be curious and say, you know, what happened and give somebody a chance to input into their performance and brainstorm with you about how it can be better. So one thing that I saw as I was writing my book, Wired for Disruption, one thing that I saw, and I have a, a chapter specific on trust agility. I saw some great research and data that you all shared around how trust makes organizations nine times more agile. Can you talk and kind of talk that link to me and to our listeners? Yeah, I think you did a great job of it in your book and um, encourage people to take a look at it. We, we believe in a concept and we measure it called, we measure everything that I'm talking about. And we measure something called innovation by all, which is the most important part of, of innovation is being able to execute. And to put innovation to work, you have a good idea. This is going to really improve customer service. This is going to get a new product into the market that the product wants. Can you do it? Can can you actually do it? That's agility. Mm. Can you get people who are familiar with one way of working to move to another way of working Mm -hmm. that have a a certain set of beliefs and and familiarity Mm -hmm. and are comfortable to being uncomfortable and moving into the unknown with something new and different. That's agility. Mm-hmm. And one without the other, a great idea, and this is going to be great, and you can't put it to work. Well, if you don't trust the leader when they say that, resistance starts. Yes. Resistance is the thing that makes you less agile. It's the dirt that mucks up the gear and, and stops it from, from being able to efficiently operate. So, and this is the human part. There's no business case because we're moving into the unknown. So you really don't know whether this innovation is going to work and most innovations don't. So you experiment and you change, you experiment and you change, which is agility. Mm -hmm. So you can't do that back and forth feedback loop if there isn't trust in the first place. So that's why it's really important to measure whether or not people trust their leaders and do people trust their coworkers. Because now the work that I'm doing is heavily dependent on the work that she does. So I need to have trust there as well. So the two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other, which is what you point out in the chapter. 
Yeah. And that's so important because what you're touching on is an aspect of what I call um, stakeholder agility. It's how do you rapidly align with stakeholders around the important things that need to be done and trust is such a component of it. What are two or three behaviors that really create trust among your peers? People feeling that it's care. That's it's the, the same stuff, answer. right? Yeah. It, it's, it's, all, it's all the same stuff. Yeah. So do I feel like my coworkers care about me and do I care about them? Mm-hmm. That's the start. If that's not true, it's a very transactional, interactive, non-creative connection that lacks a lot of power. Yeah, that um, is so interesting. That, I, yeah. Can we just pause there? Because I think that's such an important point that you're making. I think there are so many of us that in our hurry to go get some goal accomplished, uh, merely see our peers as enablers or detractors to that goal where our focus is on the goal. And what you're talking about is the focus needs to be on the relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm hearing you say. And and this sort of sense of, I love this, what you said, your, your sense of power that is created when there is a caring relationship between the two people and it's the power to do something together. Yeah. And you might have to give up your own agenda, right? Like you might have to find out where is the common agenda here? That's right. And and the thing that makes people be willing to give up their agenda Mm. or modify their behavior or check their resistance Mm. and their motivation to see if you're being fueled by power and politics instead of what's best for the organization is purpose. Yeah. Purpose. So we measure the amount of politics and backstabbing that exists in an organization. For this reason, it makes you less agile. That's so powerful. How do you measure that? Well, we ask the question for what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we ask it. We ask it directly, and we ask it indirectly. Yeah. To find out how do people get recognition? How mm-hmm. do people get rewarded? How do people get celebrated? How do people get recognized? How do people get promoted? How do mm-hmm. people get paid fairly? How are your ideas responded to? You take all those bits, and you get a feeling for this is a really political organization. Mm-hmm. That if you can play certain games and mimic uh, the behaviors that leaders like, your career is going to go one way. And if you don't do those things, you're not going to move up like others who are able to do that. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I have one final question, which is what keeps you going? Um, this, this drive to create a great place to work for all which is, you know, I, I know it's a part of my life's purpose. You know, my, my broader life's purpose is to try and do that and, and do the same thing in the community that I live in. So it, it's, it's to try and, and, and help others. I get a high sense of self-worth and satisfaction by doing these things. So I get the feedback from it. It's not that I'm an angel uh, just trying to do these good things. It makes me feel great. And the challenge of trying to do it is uh, kind of a chess game that um, uh, I really enjoy. And enjoyment, you know, doesn't always mean that, oh, you're just having the greatest time. Enjoyment means you're so infuriated and frustrated that sometimes you just want to stop doing everything. Uh, that's part of enjoyment is uh, having to to get through uh, those those tough parts. 
my father was uh, was a carpenter, a working person. So I grew up with hands on, you know, with he came home sweating every single day and I worked with him too. And, and so I got to understand work. And uh, so I've always had a thing for working people and especially frontline working people. So that's why I think that in my mind, we have an opportunity to make it so that all working people are being treated with respect. And part of that respect is they should be able to look up in their company and see people who look like them. Hmm. That's showing respect. If not, you have room to go. You have a gap to close in terms in terms of respect, because if you honor everyone, then you should be able to see everyone. Was there a crucible experience for you growing up that really shaped this sense of purpose that you have of really deep care for the person that is the frontline worker? I think the it um, you know, a combination of nature and nurture. But but if you grew up in a house where, you know, my mother did kind of all the accounting for my father's business. So she had two jobs, uh, raising the three of us and doing that. So working mom was, I, I saw both. My mm. mother would do all the things a stay-at-home mom would do from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., because my father started early and then she'd do the accounting. So you see that. And then that helps you see something about a powerful woman and never complained. And then my father who, who worked physically. And so he came home, you could see the salt marks on his body from, from sweating all day and he never complained. So you saw that. And then I worked with him so I saw him work and worked and all the people who were working with him, who were slinging a hammer and a saw and in tough situations, tough conditions. And as I got older, realized how unfairly he was being treated, how he couldn't get bank loans, how people wouldn't pay him at the end of his work, that there were only certain jobs he could get. He couldn't get other jobs. And uh, people would ask him to do the work and then put their name on top of the work. So mm-hmm. and watch him kind of get through all that. You developed, uh, you, you know, when I think of a working person, that's what I think of. It's hard for me to even describe work, this being work. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm really getting that sense of purpose around uh, being an advocate and evangelist for the for all that you've added to uh, the great places to work. It's a real privilege to learn from you, Michael. And uh, thank you for the inspiration. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Hannah Anam. Please rate, comment, and share our podcast with those you care about. Be the leader who helps others grow and thrive in times of disruption. You can visit our website at www.transformleaders.tv. There, you'll find other great tools to grow your leadership and be a force for good in these times. Until the next time, my friends.